I was telling my husband on the way over here, too many things in my brain. I can't keep it all in there. <laughs> um, if someone can just let me know if the sound is good or if we hear static um, on our YouTube. Let me know. Um, so today we're going to be doing more like a, a study. Well, we've been doing a study, but... It's more like a, uh, another study. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about, and this, this study, I came across it um, a while ago, and I've been wanting to get to this point so that we can tie it together and talk about it and compare it. And what we're going to be talking about today is the, it sounds good? Is there static? No, it's good. It's good? Okay, good. Um, so I want to welcome everyone who is watching online. Um, I do want to tell you from the beginning that um, we are streaming our Shabbat services on YouTube live only, but we also have our podcast. We want to promote our podcast. We want to push our podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Breaker. We are on Radio Public. We are on, help me out here, Spotify. <laughs> We're like all over the place. Um, and um, I see that, that we, we are actually reaching, you know, the corners of the earth, like Australia and United Kingdom. And so God, God is good. Amen. And so we're really, really excited. That's why I'm always asking everyone to push, push, push our podcast as much as possible. Share until you get tired of sharing. And then when you get tired, share again, um, because um, we want to grow our YouTube channel. And most importantly, we want to grow our podcast. Amen. So for those of you who do not like to watch people's faces on YouTube, you can just plug your ears and listen to them while you're driving or in the gym or whatever it may be um, and, uh, and feed your spirit. Amen. Sometimes it's even good to go back and listen to the word again. I don't know if you guys do that sometimes. It's good to go back. You know, you receive here in church, but it's good to go back in your quiet time with your Bible, with your notebook, with your pen, take notes. Um, and then meditate on the scripture and be a Berean. You know what a Berean is? A Berean is someone that goes and tests the word that they hear. Bereans used to receive the word that Paul used to give them, but they used to go and search the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was teaching was accurate. It doesn't matter who you're hearing it from. It doesn't matter if it's the, the, the prophets of prophets in the nations. You test the word, amen? And so that's why we always encourage all of you to take notes. So welcome to everyone who's online and for those who are here in the house. Um, so like, I'm, like I was saying, I wanted to get to this point because I had come across this teaching a while back and I was waiting for my husband to get to Exodus 28. And I just kind of... How do you say, um, beat the bullet or got in front of a, how do you say, what is it? I jumped the gun. I jumped the gun, right? I go, well, you just finished chapter 25, but reading Exodus 26 and 27, we're going to go ahead and skip those. And I'll tell you why, because it's very detailed in how God told them to make the tabernacle and how God told them to build, you know, like my husband was, was teaching last, last week to build the menorah and everything, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, you know, how he wanted the curtains, how he wanted the baseboards, how he wanted everything. And what astonished me the most is that this tabernacle, okay, had to be broken down every time they got up and moved. 
So God put him to work. Y'all think God gives you a lot of things to do? Well, these people had to break down these tabernacles that, that had gold trimmings and, and, and nice curtains and everything. All, yeah, the furnishings and the fixes and everything were just super expensive. And all of these offerings were being brought to them so that they can do all these things exactly how God wanted them to make it. And then after, when God said, okay, it's time to get up, they had to break everything down and then go to the new place and build it all up again. So that was a lot of work. Amen. So um, verses 26 and 27 are all the details of that. And we're just going to touch one or two points. But what I really want to focus on today, which is what I was waiting for, is Exodus 28, which talks about the garments of the high priest. And I want to compare the garments of the high priest with the armor of God in the book of Ephesians. Because I think we've missed it. No, no, I don't think. I know we've missed it. We have this like mentality of, and, and, I, and I'm going to try to pull it up here, of this armor of God. Let me see if I can pull it up here. And the armor of God that we've been taught is the image of a Roman soldier. Let me see if I find it here. It's the image of a Roman soldier, which God never called us to look anything like Roman. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see it here a little bit. Let me see. Oh, man, I really want to show you. Okay, go ahead and tell him. Uh, Roman so yeah if we can put a Roman soldier and then if he can also look for um, the garments of the high priest because I want to compare those two pictures I should have done that before anyways um, we have uh, this Roman mentality and haven't we been trying to unromanize our minds right you know what the Roman soldiers used to do? They used to kill. They used to go to war. They used to fight in their flesh. Which God told us not to fight in our flesh. God said to fight in the spirit. Just even right there, you can tell that what we've been taught is, a, is wrong. And we're going to see throughout, the, throughout the, the, the study how wrong we've been up to now. And we've been putting on a Roman soldier armor wow. instead of putting the garments of the high priest considering that he said that we are a royal priesthood a holy nation we've been wrong and so um, we're gonna be going back and forth we're gonna be using a lot of scripture today so I really really want you to take a lot of notes I have two different studies. I'm going to try to combine them together. I told my husband, I go, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this. There's so much information that I want to share, but God is with us and God is going to help us and God is going to expand our knowledge and our understanding of this. Amen. So the first thing I want to do while we put up the Roman soldier up there, um, it's, yeah, go it's the armor of God and then you'll see the Roman soldier. Um, I want everyone to turn to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, 10 through 20. And if, and if he needs help back there, then um, someone should probably go help him. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Are you there? Amen. Amen. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in who? In the, in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Very clearly it says it there. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. How interesting that, right? It says wickedness in heavenly places. You'd think, wait, there's no wickedness in heavenly places. Well, according to Ephesians, there is. And that's where the war is at. Amazing, huh? It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. There you go. This is what we're taking up right here. This is what we look like when we take up the full armor of God. But this is not how we're supposed to look like. This is what we've been taught. It says, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist when the times are evil. And after you have done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist. I want you to pay attention to the parts that we're going to be talking about. Okay? Pay close attention. It says, buckle the belt of truth around your waist. And put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap up your feet in the readiness with the good news of shalom. It doesn't say put on shoes. It says strap up your feet with the readiness. And, and the reason why I'm telling you that is because I'm going to show you something now. Strap up your feet with the readiness with the good news of shalom. You know what that means? Be ready to walk wherever he sends you and share the good news. That's what it means. It's not some special shoes that give you power, power to <laughs> jump higher. No, no, no. Like Nike. No, it's, it's not that. It's to be ready to have your feet walk wherever he sends you to go to share the good news. That's why it says with the readiness, because we got to be ready. Amen. And it says, verse 16, above all, take the shields of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Ruach on every occasion with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, keep alert with perseverance and supplication for all the Kedoshim. And pray for me when I open my mouth to, take, to make known with boldness the mysteries of the good news, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly the way I should. So we went a little bit more than, actually, no, we went up to chapter, uh, to verse 20. So most of us were taught under a Greek setting. All of our lives, we've been taught under a Greek setting. And we often open our minds to the 
culture and the new age and the new things that the, the, the new ways that things are being done. And that is what has led us to a false form of worship. Because of everything we have been adapted, because of everything we've been taught from a Roman mentality, even in the church. And that, what we've learned throughout all our, eight, all our years following the Lord, it has taken us to a place of false worship. So we think we're actually worshiping him, him in spirit and in truth, when in fact it is a false worship and we don't even realize it. Why? Because that's what I heard. That's what I've been taught. That's what they told me. That's what I've always known. But how about if I tell you this morning what you've always known is wrong? And you know, unfortunately, there's people. Okay, not yet. That's beautiful, Godo, but not yet. Take it off. Put on the, the Roman soldier again. A lot of people have a hard time sitting here and saying, for the past 20 years, I have learned wrong. They have a hard time. And so since they can't accept that, they reject the truth. And they rather live in deceit then accept that they've been wrong for 20 years. You know what that's called? Pride. Mm -hmm. wow. And pride comes before the fall. Hmm. And so we in this church, by the glory of God, have been unlearning so that we can relearn the truth. And when you teach this to people, they're going to have a real hard time because they've always put up the Roman armor with the sword, with the helmet, with the with breastplate, but we're gonna see what Exodus 28 says and what we as royal priesthood should be putting on. Amen? Amen. So this again has taken us to a false form of worship. The Greek philosophy, and if you're writing this down, if you're writing notes, write this down. Greek philosophy, philosophy or the way we've been taught with the Roman mentality has geared us Remember the two, the two trees in the garden? Remember the tree of good and evil and, right, the tree of life? Yes. Well, the Greek philosophy or the Roman way we have been taught has geared us towards the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when we look at scripture from a Hebraic perspective, we are being geared towards the tree of life. So God placed both of these options before us. What looks good or what sounds good is not always God. She took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it was not God. It was not God's will. The same thing happens to us. We are placed before us a Greek or a Roman mentality or a Greek philosophy, and we're placed before us a Hebraic one, the roots of our Messiah. We get to choose which way to go. And unfortunately, a lot of people are hearing about the Hebraic perspective, the tree of life, but they rather stay at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because that's what they've always eaten from. And so they miss out on all the truth. And what happens? It begins to, it begins to hurt our, our heart and our true form of worship towards God, right? 
And so one of the most common misunderstanding regarding the armor of God is caused by the way we've been taught in the Roman perspective. Many, for many, the whole armor of God is the Roman soldier armor. I've, I've done it a thousand times. I go to my kids and, yeah. or I pray and I put on the helmet and I give them the sword and I put on the breastplate. But when I learned this, I was like, what have I been doing? We missed it. Wow. We missed it. Instead of putting holy garments on our children, we're putting Roman armor. Wow. 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 But you don't, you don't really look into this because who teaches this, right? Just tell me that God loves me. Tell me that there's enough grace and send me home. He is. But he's also truth. (laughs) Come on. And he's also consuming fire. And he also told us, come out from among the nations. Don't learn like they learn. Learn how I want to teach you. So... When Paul was talking about the armor of God in Ephesians, and I don't know if you guys have noticed until now, but I'm sure you have. Every time we teach from the Torah, we teach from the renewed covenant as well, which is the New Testament, as many of us know it. And when we study the New Testament, isn't it coming or pulling from the Old Testament? Everything we study, we see that it's a repetition of what the Old Testament says. It has been that way since we started studying Genesis. The same thing is for the armor of God. Where do you think Paul, you think Paul had this grand new idea? Guys, I have a new armor for you. This is what you have to put on. No, because if you study all of the letters of Paul, they all pull from the Torah. It's the same thing when it comes to the armor of God. Where do you think Paul got the elements of this armor? Do you think he's actually really speaking about a sword? It's figurative speech. We've taught about this as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you'll see figurative speech in scripture. If that were to be the case or if that were not to be the case, we'd be walking around with a helmet, a sword, and the breastplate of righteousness righteousness, instead of a pair of jeans and a shirt. No, it's a figurative speech. But where do you think Paul got that figurative speech from? He pulled it from the Torah. Remember, he could only speak from a Hebraic perspective because he was the Jews of Jews. He had no other perspective. He was taught up in this. He knew about the garments. But who was he talking to? He was talking to the church of Ephesus. So he was talking to a people of Greek mentality. So he, ta- he, had to t- he had to talk to them their language so that they would understand it. But he was not talking their language. He was talking his, but in a figurative way. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. That's what Paul was doing. He wasn't saying forget about the holy garments and put on a Roman soldier. No, he was explaining how, how the armor is in a way that they would understand. But he was really talking about the the garments of royalty and priesthood, which is what we are. And we're going to see that now. He was talking about a heavenly armor, not an earthly one. Come on. Paul was not talking about an earthly armor, which is that one. He was talking about, put the other one, Godo. He was talking about this one. We got our armors messed up. Wow. 
then we wonder why the church is messed up, right? So Paul did not come up with this new idea. He drew wisdom and understanding from the Old Testament. Look what Isaiah 59, 16 through 17 says. This is Old Testament. Isaiah 59, 16 through 17. Bless you. It says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Look at what Isaiah says. This is not Ephesians. New Testament. This is Isaiah, Old Testament. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal and a cloak. It's talking about breastplate. It's talking about helmet. It's talking about garments. We haven't even got into Ephesians yet. And we see an armor already. But where did this armor come from? Let's keep reading. Isaiah 11, 4 through 5. And we could put up the scriptures here while we're not using the pictures. Isaiah 11, 4 through 5. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, but shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. What's that sword? The word. It's not an actual sword in your hand because you're going to go and cut somebody's head off, which is what Roman soldiers would do. No, this is the word of God, the Torah. We're seeing it in the Torah that we're reading from Isaiah. With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. We just read in Ephesians, the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Is it a Roman belt? No, it's righteousness. That is the belt. And when the high priest had to go into the temple, the tabernacle, to present himself before the Lord, there had to be righteousness. Don't miss any of this. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Wow. Now we're going to compare to Exodus 28, which is the next chapter that we're learning this week. Look at what it says. Exodus 28, 1 through 4. This is going to start talking about the garments of the high priest. Ephesians 28. I mean, uh, Exodus. Exodus 28, 1 through 4.
Now, take Aaron, your brother. He's talking to Moses, right? He's just finished telling him how he wants the tabernacle. He just finished telling him all the fixtures and all the finishings of the tabernacle. Now he goes and he tells Aaron, take your brother. Uh, he tells Moses, take your brother Aaron and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. And he may, so that he may minister to me as a priest. Don't miss these words. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So that you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, who I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to, conse to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. And, they, and these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate. Let's put up the picture now of, of, the, of the high priest. This is the garments that you are to make. A breastplate. An ephod. I know Jenny loves that word. A robe. A skillfully woven tunic. A turban. And a sash. Sash is the belt. The turban is the covering, which is, could be considered as the helmet. It continues to say, So they shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother and his sons, that they may minister to me as a priest. So obviously... In Ephesians, Paul was making reference to the holy garments of the priesthood that were called by God. How do we know this? How do we know that this belongs to me? How do we know that this, is not, this was not only for them? Well, look at what 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says. Going back to the New Testament, we're going to be going back and forth. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation. Stop right there. In Exodus 28, God told Moses to choose Aaron and his sons. We already see that they're chosen. In 1 Peter, it says that you are chosen. What happens? When Aaron and his sons were chosen, they were set apart. In 1 Peter 2, when God says you're chosen, you're set apart. Amen. Amen. You see the parallel in all the things in Scripture. Yes. Mm -hmm. He not only tells you that you're a chosen generation in 1 Peter and therefore sets you apart, he goes on to further say you are a priesthood like Aaron and his sons. Come on, somebody. Amen. He says, you are not only chosen generation, but you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How did the priests have to go into the tabernacle with holiness and righteousness? Because not he would drop dead. So we see in Ephesians, Aaron and his sons being not only set apart in Exodus, not only set apart, but also God was going to use 
Aaron and his sons to elevate Israel to a deeper connection with God. So when God calls you a royal priesthood in 1 Peter, he's not only setting you apart, but now he's going to use you to elevate others towards a closer connection with God. Amen. He just doesn't want you to think, okay, I'm set apart, I'm different, I'm good. No, now you have a job to do because you are a priesthood. I feel the spirit of God in this place already. Let's continue reading 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. What were the priests called to do in Exodus? To stand before God to minister. Same thing we see here. He sets them apart. He puts them to use. And then he gives them a job, a duty. You have now to minister, it, to, to speak about my goodness, to speak about me, to speak about my holiness, my righteousness. Come on. You now in First Peter are my special people. How who are God's people? Okay, no, no, no. Who are God's people? Israel. Now he says, you are my special people. How come we're his special people if we're not Jews? Again, grafted in. Because we're grafted in, now we're also special people. <laughs> come on, somebody. Because we're grafted in, we now are also his special people. The apple of his eye, separated, set apart for his use so that we can minister the word of God and elevate others into closeness to his presence. Amen. That was the job of the priest. But you, beloved, are also priests. Amen. You, beloved, are also a holy nation. Amen. It continues to say, who were who once were not a people? Come on, somebody. Look at look at what it says here. Who once were not a people? Remember Lo Ami and Ami? We studied this. Who were once not his people, but now are his people? It says it here in First Peter. You know why we don't see this? Because we don't study scripture this way. We, 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 we take a verse and from there we make a whole sermon. And most of the sermon is about the preacher. And about his life. And about what God gave him. I don't want you, I don't want, I don't care if you know about my life. I want you to know about God. On, and I want you to know about his word. Amen. Take a look at, at, at sermons and modern day Christianity. It's all about what God has done for me and through me and with me. I can care less. I'm no one. We're simply vessels for his service. Amen. It says, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. When the priest would go before the, the presence of God, he would go to intercede for the nation of Israel. Amen. Listen to me. He would go to intercede for the nation of Israel so that the mercy of God would be upon them. Look at what this says. Who had not obtained mercy, but now obtained mercy. Why? 
because we are that priest. Not only are we that priest, we are intercessors. We are called to be intercessors for the people that are yet not his people. So how is a priesthood dressed and how is a high priest dressed? Let's compare this. Let's talk about first the belt of truth. Look at what Leviticus 8, 6 through 7 says. And while we talk about all these parts of the priesthood and how they're dressed, think about everything we've read in Ephesians when we talked about the armor of God. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the belt of truth. Leviticus 8, 6 through 7 says, Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, again, the belt. We see it in Leviticus. We see the belt in Leviticus. Girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod and with it tied the ephod on him. The belt of truth is what holds everything else together. You can be dressed with the robe, with the breastplate, with everything. But if your sash, come on, which is the truth of God, is not holding everything together, your armor falls. That's the last thing they will put on because it is the truth that holds everything else together. Or when you buy pants that are big on you, that never happens to me. They're always small. I gotta lose weight. But when you buy pants that are big, what do you do? You buy a belt. Right? Because now your pants fall. And then you got arrested for indecent exposure. That's what holds it together. No, we don't roll that. No, we don't roll that. He's saying to, to roll your pants up, right? I do that with my son. I, I don't do that for sure with me. That doesn't fly. Look at what John 17, 17 says. We talked about Leviticus. We talked about how it is washed with water it's talking about the truth it's talking about the belt right the sash holding everything together now look at what john 17 17 says sanctify them by your truth your word is truth wow there's a sanctification process when we open our hearts to truth What was that? It's about a cross that came out of there when they water. Water mixed with blood. Water. Wash them with your truth. That was the last thing that happened. And when the water was released, it was a form of washing them with your truth. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Amen. Wash them with your truth. Come on, somebody. And isn't it interesting that it was from the side hmm. that it came out? Wow. Praise the Lord. So the belt holds the priestly garments together. Without it, all the other parts fall. 
The Lord desires to wash his priest with water and sanctify them by his truth. So you are redeemed by the blood, but you're sanctified by the truth. Amen. I'm going to say that again. You are redeemed by the blood, but daily sanctified by the truth. Amen. The more you know truth, Amen. the more you are like Messiah. Therefore, the more sanctified you're becoming. God is good, right? His word is just so amazing. And the reason why he wants to sanctify us with his truth is so that we will not be led astray and embrace false gods and false forms of worship, which is what we have unfortunately done. But there's a reprogramming. There's a reprogramming within us. And sometimes it's hard because when you are set in something for such a long time it's i think the hardest thing and if someone could agree with me if you do if you don't well agree with me anyways um <laughs> the hardest thing is to unlearn something especially after so many years yeah. that you can look at scripture and be like well this is what it says mm -hmm. and this is above what they say or what I've learned. This is above it. It's the hardest thing, but it's the most rewarding thing. Because I don't know about you, when you allow yourself to unlearn something and relearn the truth, wow. it is a fulfillment. It is. You feel it is. filled. Mm -hmm. It's not that you were empty, it's that you were half full. Mm -hmm. But when you receive truth, you're complete. Amen. Yeah. Free indeed. And free indeed. Yeah. Right? And free indeed. Let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians, right? Well, look at what Exodus 28, 4 says. And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate, we just read this, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a turban, and a sash, so that they may make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons. Exodus 28, 15. We're going to be in Exodus for a minute right now. Exodus 28, 15. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Now, that's a problem with a lot of people, because the first thing they'll tell you is, don't judge me. But Exodus says that we are to, to wear a breastplate of judgment. Righteous judgment. That's why in Ephesians it's the breastplate of righteousness. But in Exodus it's the breastplate of judgment. Because we are to righteously judge. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven together or woven according to the workmanship of the ephod you make it. Of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, you shall make it. I want to stop there for a moment. And when you go back and study chapter 26 and 27, you will see that the tabernacle uses the same colors, the same threading, the same woven, 
everything. So the tabernacle looks exactly like the priest when the garments are done. Come on, the curtains of the tabernacle look exactly like the garments of the priest when it's done. Are we now walking tabernacles? Come on. We are walking tabernacles. So if we are walking tabernacles, shouldn't our armor or our garments look the same as a tabernacle? Does the tabernacle look like a tabernacle for a Roman soldier or does it look like a tabernacle for a high priest? We've missed it, guys. We've missed it. You have a Roman soldier pull up to the door of the tabernacle. They won't know what to do. They'll say, I don't look like it. Come on. I, come on. If I look at my armor and I look at the tabernacle, I say, I don't look like it. I don't belong here. But you have a high priest coming up to the door of the tabernacle. They'll say, I belong here because I look like it. Come on. Amen. I'm excited today. <laughs> Exodus 28. 22 through 30. I told you there's a lot of scripture because this is all I want to talk about today. And this is what we should always talk about. Just scripture. Not opinion of men. Exodus 28, 22 through 30. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are at the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod. So, he's talking right here about Carrying the two stones on the shoulder. Right? It's a, it's, it's a whole, it's like a whole garment connected with the breastplate and the, the two stones. Now, the most interesting part when I was studying this is that, and we'll, we'll read it now in a little bit, that on each onyx stone that was on the shoulder, think about how Yeshua carries the sins of the world on his shoulder and how he carried it through the cross. The most interesting thing is that this onyx stones that God told Moses to make in the priestly garment, he says, and we'll read in a little bit, that on, on each stone are going to be six tribes of Israel and six, another six on the other stone. Wow. That was already prophetically speaking something so marvelous. The separation of the two houses. We know that one house holds ten and the other one two. We understand that. that. I'm not speaking about number. I'm speaking about separation. The house of Ephraim and the house of Judah. There was, prophetically speaking, he was already saying that there's going to be a separation. But on the breastplate, all the tribes were together. So at one point, they're going to be separated. But in my heart, they're coming all together again. Because that is what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's 
regathering the, the, the lost tribes. And he's bringing them all together. And it's no coincidence that the breastplate is on the heart. Why? Because that is his heart. To have all the tribes one together. Look at, let's put the picture again if we could, please. Yeah, it's hard to tell there because right it don't. So you can see it. Yes, yes. In the middle are all the stones. Each stone represents the tribe of Israel. And on each shoulder are the onyx stones I'm talking about. What once was separated will be connected and brought back again. And they will all be together because that is my heart. And when they're all brought together, what is the breastplate called? The breastplate of judge of, of what is it? The breastplate of judgment. Why? Because when all the nations are brought back together, what will he do? He will judge. Come on. He is going to judge all the tribes when they are gathered back together. According to his heart. His will, which is what? The Torah. We don't see this in the garments because we don't study. What was once separated will be brought back on the breastplate of judgment. They will be judged because it is my heart, my will. And what is his heart and his will? He said it in his word. His word is his heart and his will. But we have many people running from his word. We have many people running from his will. So it's like when you go to the court here. When you go before a judge to be judged, what does he do? He opens up the law. And he says, you're going to be judged because you did this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. There is the same system exists in the heavenly places. When you stand before God, you think he's going to open up the law of the United States? No, he's going to open up the law of the heavens. Come on. He has a law the same way we have it here. And he's going to judge you according to his law. That's why when people run away from the law, they're, 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 they're in jeopardy because that is what they're going to be judged by when they are face to face with the creator. Hmm. Oh, but you're teaching the law. Honey, I'm teaching you what you're going to be judged by. Come on. You can do whatever you want with it after. Mm -hmm. If you know you are Israel and you know that you are part of one of those tribes, and you know that judgment is coming for the tribes, you're going to, un you have to understand that the judgment is based on his law. No one else's. So while you're here, should we not try to align to his law so that when we're judged, we're in good standards? Or we're in good stands? I mean, right? Spanglish, there for you. Verse 25 in Exodus 28. Let's continue reading. And the other two ends of the braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate. On each of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod, and two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod. You see that there's that connection. 
and it shall be connected with a blue cord so that it is so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose <laughs> from the ephod so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart it says it right there why are we talking about the high priest and why are we talking about the 12 tribes on the heart? Because Yeshua is our high priest. Amen. And he came for his own and his own rejected him. Continue to say, when he does, when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. I love this. This is so beautiful. The high priest goes before the Lord with all these stones in his heart as a memorial. So that God would never forget the covenant he made with them. Wow. Wow. If not, he wouldn't say a, a memorial for the Lord. Mm. He says that the high priest goes before the Lord with this on his heart as a memorial. Why? Because God will never forget the covenant he made with you. However, in our case, we always forget the covenant we've made with God. Remember? We talked about everything you say I will do. How did that go for us? Yeah. Not very well. We forget. He doesn't. Because he always has a high priest coming before him as a memorial, which is Yeshua HaMashiach. That's why when you pray, God doesn't look at you. He doesn't see you. He sees the high priest. He sees Yeshua all over you. And the reason... The reason why he blesses you and the reason why he has mercy is because the high priest does intercession for you. Amen. The same way this high priest did intercession for Israel. Yeshua is your intercessor. And when he goes to the Father on your behalf, he sees as a remembrance that you are part of those 12 tribes on his heart. And therefore he is loyal to you. He is faithful to you. He is good to you. Not because you deserve it. Because there's a constant memorial coming to him. His son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is our high priest. Yes. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Leviticus 19.15 You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. Nor honor, the, nor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Wow. Hold on a second. What, what does that say? For you are to judge your neighbor with fairness, which in other, it's, it's righteousness in, in all actuality. So what happens when they tell you don't judge me? You know why people tell you don't judge me? Because they don't want accountability. They don't want you to, they don't, they don't want you to show them what's, they don't want to admit. Mm -hmm. That's the word, they don't want to admit. So what do they do? What they've always been taught, don't judge me. It's like the same thing we do, we always been taught. Put the armor of God, the Roman one. Don't judge me, no. But we're learning here 
that it's not the Roman armor of God. And we're learning here that we are to judge righteously. And can I tell you, you're not to judge. You are not to judge the world. You are to judge your neighbor. That means the believer. Oh, but pastor told me this and pastor told me that. It's my job. It's our job as believers mm -hmm. to be like, brother, you're in sin, brother. I need, I need to show you this because you need to get out because I care for your soul. Mm -hmm. We're not to judge the world. The world is obviously the world and has not been saved. We are to judge within the church and not judge unrighteously, but righteously and not judge with your opinion, but with his word. Because it is his word that brings conviction to your neighbor. And therefore, when there's conviction by the Ruach, there's change in your neighbor. Amen. It's not because you came up to him. It's because you came up to him with the word. Amen. Amen. And you judge righteously. Amen. If they get mad at you, they're not getting mad at you. They're getting mad at the word. As long as you pull from the word, beloved. Yes. With love and righteousness, mm -hmm. you can judge. <clears throat> Not out of hate, but out of love for your neighbor yeah. because you want them to be saved. Amen. And you want them, when that trumpet sounds, you want them to have holy garments hallelujah holy garments is he not coming for a church that has garments that are wrinkle free and stain free yes. why does revelation talk about garments because exodus talked about garments mm -hmm. <laughs> so if exodus talked about garments and revelation talked about garments what is paul doing talking about a roman soldier armor no that is not what he was talking about he was talking about high priest garments but he was talking to it at their level so that they can understand it. I can't talk to a 30-year-old the same way I talk to a 2-year-old because they're not at the same level. It depends. it depends. I have great conversations with my almost 4-year-old that I can't have with like a 90-year-old. It depends. You're so right, my sister. It depends. But I'm trying to prove a point, so help me out here. Right? Paul was talking at their level. But he was not changing the garments. And that's where we've been taught. Let's look at Yeshua as our high priest in Matthew 4. You guys with me? Yes. Are we learning? Yes. Amen. That's what I want to hear. Learning the right way. That's right. The right way. Matthew 4, 23 through 24. Let me go there because of this. Twenty-three. Okay. It says Yeshua was going throughout all the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Uh oh. He was teaching in their synagogues. When? When was he teaching? In their synagogues. Not on Sundays. Not on Sundays. <laughs> Saturdays. Saturdays. And he said, follow me. <laughs> so where are we going on Sundays? Not following him. Where was Jesus on, on Sundays? Not at the synagogue. No. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> you can catch it if you want. 
She was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. You know what they would, oh my goodness, you know what they would do in the synagogues? What would they do in the synagogues? Preach a, or teach or preach a few good sermon? They would open up the scrolls. Come on, somebody. They would open up the scrolls and read the Torah. Look at what it says. Yeshua was in the synagogue preaching the good news. What's the good news? The Torah. It's very clear. They say, no, the good news is that Jesus came and died. That's great news. But when you start reading the book of Romans, in the very first chapter, Paul says that the good news is the scriptures. And you know the scriptures is not Old and New Testament. The scriptures are only the Old Testament. <laughs> so Paul, in the New Testament, is saying, I'm going to teach you the Old Testament because that's the good news. And then you see here Yeshua in the synagogue, not on Sunday, teaching the Torah and calling it good news. But since I want to live the way I want, I'm just going to say the good news is Jesus and that Jesus covers me. <laughs> no, okay. A teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all the sick. Those tormented by various disease and afflictions. Those plagued by demons, the epileptics, the paralyzed, and he healed them. A large crowd followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond. Is this 23 and 24? Yeah. So, we see his fame we see that all followed him into the synagogue, into the, procl the proclamation of the good news. They were all waiting to see what he said. Can I tell you that when the high priest would go into the tabernacle, all of Israel was waiting to see what would come out of it? Because there, there was a decision making for Israel. For the upcoming year. He would go and intercede. And all of Israel was expectant. Same things going on in Matthew. They're all expectant. We see the resemblance of Yeshua as our high priest. Now what is righteousness in the sight of God? That I want to talk about as well. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6.25. Because if we look at the Roman soldier and the armor, but then we talk about righteousness, we don't see this in the life of a Roman soldier. Deuteronomy 6.25 says, Then it will be righteousness for us. Remember, we're talking about the breastplate. Then it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Wait a second. I'm a high priest. I have the breastplate of righteousness or the breastplate of just of just of judgment. So what is righteousness? 
It says that righteousness is to observe all the commandments. So I'm wearing something I don't observe. In other words. <laughs> I just put it on because it sounds good. Breastplate of righteousness. Come at me because I got a breastplate of righteousness. No. You got to read. What is righteousness? The observance of the commandments as he taught them. Look at Luke 1, 5 through 6. Luke 1, 5 through 6. There was in the days of Herod, the king of, Ju of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiha. His wife was, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wow. We're talking about Aaron. We're talking about kingship in this, in this verse. We're talking about priesthood. We're talking about righteousness, which we were talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And we're talking about that the righteousness was walking in the command and the ordinances. Wow. And we're putting on this breastplate. We don't know what in the world we're putting on. Can I tell you, you cannot put on your breastplate if you're not willing to walk in the ordinances of God. Come on. Don't put it on. You don't look like the tabernacle. I didn't mean it to be hard. I mean it to be true. Don't put on something you're not willing, you're not willing to walk in. It's like putting on heels and you don't know how to walk in heels. For the girls, right? For the girls. It's like putting on cleats and not knowing how to play football. It's harsh, guys. Now, can you tell me if a Roman soldier has any righteousness in his breastplate? He doesn't. No righteousness. So why are we... Yeah, but they cast out demons. Exactly. Neither does a Roman soldier have the desires to walk in the commandments of God. He doesn't. He doesn't have righteousness in his, bless, in his breastplate, and he does not have the desire to walk in the commandments of God. So what are we doing? What have we been doing? What have we been putting on? Let's talk about the, the preparation of the gospel of peace on our feet. As you can tell, the soldiers have shoes on. The high priest does not. Let's put up those, those two pictures and compare. Let's go to the beginning. When you stand in the presence of God, how do you stand? Hold on, because I'm about to stand up right now. Right? How do you stand? Didn't God say, take off your shoes? Oh, but we got the Roman soldier with shoes on because that is the shoes of peace. Who said that? Ephesians doesn't say that. It says the readiness of the gospel. The high priest has no shoes. Because he's in the presence of God. Yes, thank you. Y'all can see here? Look, barefoot. A pata, como dicen. Barefoot. 
Nobody said put your shoes on. <laughs> Nobody said put your shoes on. Let's go to the Roman soldier. Roman soldier. There it is. You know why? Shoes? I'll tell you why. Because the Roman soldiers have to have shoes on because when they anchor their shoes on the floor, that means they're ready to fight. In the flesh. Ephesians says don't fight in the flesh. You don't need shoes. You just got to come to my presence. I do the fighting for you. And, with shoe, and, and when you come into my presence, I told you to take your shoes off. But the problem is a lot of people have the, the, the Roman soldier armor on and therefore are always fighting in the flesh and never getting results. Aren't you tired of fighting in the flesh and never getting results? Beloved, you have the wrong armor on. We have the wrong armor on. Why? Because it's what we've been taught. Thank you, brother. Exodus 3, 5. Actually, Exodus, let's stay in Exodus 28 and then we'll go to 3, 5. Look what Exodus 28, 32, 35 says, and what I'm going to tell you is going to blow your mind. This blew my mind yesterday. I love studying the Word of God. Exodus 28, 32 through 35. This, is this continues to talk about the, the garments and how, and how Moses should make it. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have, this is talking about the, the coat. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening. Like the opening in a coat of mail. So that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet around the hem. And bells of gold between them and around them. If we can put back the, the high priest. In the bottom of the garment, this is amazing. Do not miss this. In the bottom, you could see it right there. You see those little things right there? That's what it's talking about, the pomegranates. So I went and I looked into the pomegranates. Why pomegranates? Right? Because it's not going to tell you pomegranates if there's not a reason. Why not lemons? Why not apples? Why not strawberries? Strawberries are cute. They'll look cute on a garment. No, pomegranates. So why pomegranates? When you go and study pomegranates, guess how many seeds do the, po the pomegranate produce? 613. How many? 613. Wow. Yes. Google it. You'll see what I'm telling you. And when you beat the pomegranate, it bleeds. Think of this. Think of Joshua. He's telling the, the, the bottom 
or the border of your garment are to have pomegranates mm. or to have commandments mm. in other words yes. wow. 613 seeds beautiful. how beautiful is God's word Nothing, nothing. Look, if there's a comma, you better ask why there's a comma. Because there's a reason. That's, that's to the extent that God is so precise in everything that he writes in scripture. Wow. And he says, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a gold bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe and all around it. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. When he does what? When he ministers. And its sounds will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. When he goes into the holy place, these pomegranates, pomegranate bells are ringing in his holiness. That means there's abundance of Torah. There's an abundance of commandments in his presence. And when he comes out, that he may not die. There is ringing of these. So the Israelites, what they do is they, they, they hear because if, if the bells are still ringing, the priest is alive. If he's alive, we still got an intercessor. Thank God. If they don't hear the, hear the bells walking in the temple, then that means he dropped dead because there was no righteousness in him. There was no holiness. And if he drops dead, there's no intercessor. We got a problem. So those bells had to keep ringing. Those pomegranate bells had to keep ringing. And it's not a coincidence that the pomegranate has 16, uh, um, 613 seeds. Wow. Look at what Exodus 3, 5 says. Then he says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Wow. So what are we doing putting shoes of peace? No, it's not shoes, it's readiness. There's a difference. And why readiness on the feet? Because you got to be ready to go wherever God tells you to. Even if people get upset, even if people get offended, mm -hmm. you go. The, in this journey, you're going to offend many people. One day people are going to be for you. Another day people are going to be against you. That's life. Toughen up. That's why you have to have a soft heart and tough skin. Because that's how life is. But you keep steady yeah. with the Lord. You keep walking in his way you keep moving forward have the readiness on your feet don't look back and turn into a pillar of salt we read that you keep moving forward so the priests minister to god without any sandals but yet the roman soldiers fight in the flesh with sandals and this is what we're putting on we are always to be ready to bring the good news, proclaim peace, bring glad tithing or good things and proclaim salvation. A Roman soldier wears shoes, but to bring what? War and bad news. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. We are to bring good news, mm -hmm. but the Roman soldier wears shoes to bring war and bad news. How we've missed it. Let's talk about the shield. We're almost about done. Genesis 15.1. Remember we read the shield in Ephesians, right? And the armor. Genesis 15.1 says, 
after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. We're so easy to take out our sword when we're upset. Right, Mabel? Yes. <laughs> but he's not telling you to do that. He's saying, I'm your shield. I'm the one that's going to defend you. I'm the one that's going to protect you. Put your, shield put your sword back in. I am your shield. And it says, your exceedingly great reward. When you get a reward, it's because you've done something right. And most of us haven't been rewarded because we haven't known how to rightly wait. Mm -hmm. And allow God to be our shield. Let God be God. God. Too many of us want to be God. Mm -hmm. Too many of us are the Roman soldiers. And want to do things on our own. And when we get to the end, you're going to see how you do spiritual warfare. And it's not how you've been taught. Mm. At all. Psalm 3, 1 through 3. Psalm 3, 1 through 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, come on, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. How does God shield his people? The best picture is from Exodus out of Egypt. We've read that. We're not going to go through that again. Pillar, Mm -hmm. a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. The fire was to shield them from the surrounding enemies. To give them light. To give them a way to go. When God shields us, it is a complete divine full protection on all sides. Listen to this. When you allow God to be your shield, think of the Roman soldier. When you allow God to be your shield, he protects you all around. Can we put up the Roman soldier up here? When you put on the right garment, the Roman one, that's the, that's the right one. Let's put the Roman one. Put the wrong one. The wrong one. Put the wrong Roman one. No, ese está bien también. Ese. Well, he's not holding a shield. That's not good for my illustration. Okay. The shield of the Roman soldier only covers the front. The shield of God covers you all around. Why? Because when you are putting on the armor of a Roman soldier, you're always in defense mode. You're attacking. When God says, chill, I'm shielding you all around. You could be still and know that I'm God. I got your front, I got your back, I got your sides. When you're, wearing the, when you're wearing the wrong armor, you're only covering the front because you're always in defense mode and wanting to attack. When God says, this is not your battle, this is mine. This is my battle. Defense mode. Offense, offense mode, I'm sorry. Offense mode. You're always a la ofensiva. You always want to fight in the flesh. God said, I'm your shield. 
all around you. But the Roman armor is partially protected, therefore making you vulnerable. Listen to what I'm telling you. When you're partially protected, you are vulnerable. When you're completely protected, you're completely shielded. Amen. Meaning you're not vulnerable. Amen. You see the difference? Let's talk about the helmet. Got a long way to go. Exodus 28, 36 through 41. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it. Like the engraving of a signet. This is talking about the gold plate is talking about the helmet. And look at what the helmet has to say. Holiness to the Lord or Kadosh. Holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it in a blue cord that it may be on the turban. And it shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his front head that they may be accepted before the Lord. Now, the beautiful thing about it is that knowing that Yeshua is our high priest, Yeshua has a gold ring on his forehead continuously. And it mentions it also here in the book of Exodus. We see parallels all over the scripture. Holiness to the Lord. The Lord himself will separate the holy ones from the unholy. His name shall be where? It says it. On our foreheads. If we are his holy people and his name shall be on our foreheads, why are we comparing ourselves to the Roman soldier armor? We should be the high priest. They are wearing a plate of gold with holiness written on the forehead. You see how we are compared to the high priest? This is so good. Look at what Revelation 20 verse 4 says. This is, we're talking about Exodus and now we're going to Revelation. The high priest has this gold plate on his head with engraved on it holy or kadosh, and look at Revelation 24, uh, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. We just talked about this. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witnesses to Yeshua and for the word of God, and had not worshipped the beast or his image, and these had not received his mark on their foreheads. So the same way there is the wrong armor, there is the wrong mark on your forehead. Mm, come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah. We get to choose what armor I want to wear. What do I want to have engraved on my forehead? 
These are the choices we make by the walk that we have here. These had not bowed down to the beast, to the system, if I can say. Because you know the system we have right now in the world, it's a beast. It's a beast. And they come and they mess with your job a little bit and you bow down to the system and you do what they say. It's a beast. If we can be like the three Hebrew boys that say, I will not bow down to any system, to anything that they force in my body, to anything that they force upon my family. I am not going to be manipulated. I am not going to be rejected. I am not going to be forced to do anything. When I choose to not bow the knee, I'm choosing to not bow down to the system. And you think this is... This is just the beginning. I'm telling you the truth. This is just the beginning. This whole vaccine situation is the beginning of manipulating your life. Mm -hmm. And all it took was for them to say, if you don't put the vaccine, you're going to lose your job. That's all it took. Okay, let me bow down to the system. What do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. Here it is. Guys. If we are free, we are free. And in free indeed. The vaccine is a work of man. What Yeshua did on the cross is the work of my Savior. Come on. Amen. I will trust in that instead of what the work of man yes. tells me I have to put in my body. To preserve my life. The Bible says whoever preserves, whoever tries to preserve their life will lose it. Whoever is willing to lose their life will preserve it. Why? Because everything is in this world is completely different than how God created things. Yep. It's not logical to us, but we don't live in the logic. We live in faith. Amen. With or without the vaccine, if it's your day to go, guess what? You're going. That's right. So don't bow the knee, beloved. Because it's just the beginning of the beast manipulating our lives and having us bow down to a system that's not of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I had a patient say, well, if, if you don't know if, if God probably told man to make the, the vaccine to save the world, I go, God doesn't need man to save the world. He already did it. <laughs> he doesn't need... Here, let me give an idea, a scientific idea to this man so I can save the world. Beloved, he did not even use man to save the world. He used himself because he is God. Can I tell you that these are the times where God is going to test us? We are Shadrach. We are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are the three Hebrew boys. The same way they were tested. And they were not tested just a little bit. They were thrown in the fire. Mm -hmm. To the point of fire. Not even to fire. To a fire that has been cranked up seven times. Hmm. But their faith was tested. They were not touched. They were not touched. Why? Because they were shielded. 
Come on. They were shielded. This is the beginning to the end. I'm completely going away. That's okay. We'll continue next week. I'm completely going away, but listen to me. You are shielded. When you choose not to bow down to the system of this world, God will shield you. God will protect you. God will fight for you. Who cares if you lose your job because you don't inject yourself with something that you don't even know? God is your provider. What God takes away, God gives double. What man takes away, God gives double. So it does not matter. But this is the beginning. Mm -hmm. Or do you think it's not going to get worse? By every way, shape, or form, the system of this world is, trying, is going to try to manipulate you and your family. And the more you say yes to it, the more you're bowing the knee. You have to stay firm. And, and, and someone asked me the other day, well, why is it, why is it that you think that the vaccine is against what you believe? Well, scientifically, there are particles in the vaccine, and you can look it up. There are particles in the vaccine of aborted fetuses. Aborted fetuses. So you're injecting abortion into you, something which you do not believe. How does that make sense? Huh? Or do you? Guys, you can disagree with me, but please do your research. Please do your research. They're going to tamper with your job, but they're going to try to tamper with a lot more in the future. And the more they tamper, can't bow down. The sword of the spirit. Isaiah 49.2. And we'll be done in five, ten minutes. Isaiah 49.2. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. So do you have to have the sword in your hand? No, you have it in your mouth. The word of God. The word of God. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. Isaiah 11, 4. 11, 4. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek on the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Again, his mouth, the sword, the rod. Hebrews 4.12. I'll go quickly through these. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Revelation 1.16 He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Again, we see the sword is not in our hand, beloved. It's in our mouth. And usually it's to bless people, not to curse them. 
it continues to say, well, we'll continue next week. This is definitely have to have has to be a part two. But the last thing I wanted to leave you with is, I don't know if you guys remember the example of wearing the wrong armor with David mm -hmm. wow. in the book of 1 Samuel 17. Saul wants to give David his armor. And David said, I don't want it. It's not mine. Amen. Come on, somebody. Saul said, here's an armor. And David said, that's not my armor. I don't identify myself with that armor. Come on. I don't fight with that. I fight in the spirit. Amen. The church is going to want to give you an armor. But it's not fitting to you because you're a high priest. You need garments. And he said, I'm not fighting with that. Because if I fight with an armor that's not mine, I'm going to stumble and fall. And guess what? I can't faith Goliath and have victory over him. If you wear the wrong armor, you won't have victory. Because it's not fitting to who you are. You can't be a high priest as we saw in 1 Peter and wear a Roman soldier armor. It's not fitting. You don't look like the tabernacle. It's not fitting to you. And then in Ephesians, it finishes by saying to pray in, with all supplication. In all areas and in all things, pray. And a lot of people, that, and we see this, we see this all the time. We have people who are military in prayer, who are intercessors who go out and rebuke everything, who go out and cast everything out, who go out and fight in the flesh what is only in the spirit. We see it all the time. Yeah. But they don't have compassion or love. All they do is spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, uh, uh, to cut heads off. Mm -hmm. That's what we taught in most of the churches, yeah. to do spiritual warfare and cut heads off with your sword. Why? Because they're pulling from the Roman soldier armor. How you do spiritual warfare? How you really do spiritual warfare? And with this, we're going to finish. Go to 2 Chronicles 20. Because we've been taught to fight. And we've been taught spiritual warfare. And we've been taught to scream and holler and jump on, on, and jump on, on tables and chairs and do the whole show. Right? And rebuke demons and all that good stuff. It must be. It must be that that's, the, that that's the Lord. It has to be. This is how you do correct spiritual warfare. If someone gets to it before me, you can start reading it. Second Chronicles to, uh, 20, 14 through 24. Second Chronicles 20, 14 through 24. Anybody there? No one there? Okay, I'm almost there then. Hold on. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Okay, I'm here. All right. It says, 
This is how you do spiritual warfare. This is the right way to do it. Then in the midst of the congregation, the Ruach, Adonai, came upon Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, and son of Jael, son of Mathaniah, the Levite, of the sons of Asaph. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus Adonai says to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them as they come up, as they come up the ancient of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not fight in this battle. Look at what it says. You're going to confront an army, but you're not going to fight. Take your position. What position are we talking about here? The position of priesthood. Take your position. Stand and see the salvation of Adonai with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for Adonai is with you. Adonai is your what? Your shield. Amen. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Adonai to worship Adonai. So they're confronting an army, but what they do is bow down to worship Adonai. Because Adonai said, this is not your battle, this is mine. You will confront them, but I am your shield. Verse 19, Levites from the sons of Kohath and the sons of Korah stood up to praise Adonai, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they arose and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in Adonai your God, and you will be confirmed. Trust in his prophets. Uh-oh, are we in the New Testament here? Yep. Trust in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting with the people, he appointed singers. Look at what he did. He appointed singers to Adonai, praising the splendor of his holiness. As they went out before the army saying, Praise Adonai, for his mercy endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, Adonai set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to exterminate and annihilate them. When they had exterminated the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout in the wilderness, they looked for the multitude because only corpses were laying on the floor. No one had escaped. I don't know if you noticed what happened there. Can somebody tell me what happened there? What is it? it was 
How? How did they do spiritual warfare? Praise and worship. God said, enemies are coming against you. They are going to try to destroy you. But this battle is not yours, it's mine. All I need you to go do is tell your people to begin to sing praises and worship because while you praise and while you worship, I'm fighting. Come on, somebody. Are you asleep in this place? While you praise and while you worship, I'm fighting for you. All we, we've seen all the time that we have people screaming and hollering and rebuking and this when all you got to be doing is worshiping. Amen. Not one stayed alive. But we've been taught wrong. We've been taught the louder you scream, the more spiritual you are. I, I know I've been taught this. The more you can say, Te reprendo, the more spiritual you are. That's so wrong. First of all, tú no reprendes a nadie. You don't rebuke. The only one that rebukes is the one who's interceding for you, Yeshua HaMashiach. The right way to do spiritual warfare is to call upon Yeshua mm -hmm. to defeat the enemy. Because we're so used to doing it in our flesh. And this is a spiritual thing. I've learned that I don't say te reprendo anymore because I'm But there's someone greater in me. And I call upon that name. And I ask him to do the rebuking and the fighting Amen. and the, the dis extinguishing of my enemies. Amen. Second Chronicles teaches us how to do spiritual warfare. If you don't have the right armor on, you can't fight. And when you put on the right armor, learn how to fight. And it's with praise and it's with worship. And I'm going to finish with this, and I'm done. Next week, we continue. There's a second part. I don't know if my husband's going to do it or I'll do it, but we'll continue next week. I hope you guys learned something. Yes. I told you it was, it, was, it, was a different, it was a different style today. I wanted to just really just get into Scripture and study it and see what we can pull from it. I just really pray that um, you guys see the difference. You really yes. see the difference and you begin to unlearn what we've been falsely taught all these years. And that when you cover yourself and you cover your family, you begin to put the priestly garments on them. Amen. Dress your children in priestly garments because they are a royal priesthood. Amen. 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 Let's go ahead and pray.